Welcome to episode 21 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to discuss Silver Spring Maker Fair. Let's continue the conversation. Hi everyone, welcome back to MADE. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Claudia Bergen. Hi. And Ray Peña. How you doing? And I am Jose Valcarso. Well, guys, we uh, we are the day after Silver Spring Maker Fair. Yes, we are. Um, yeah. And I know, Ray, this was your first Maker Fair. Yeah, it was the first one I've ever been to. Yeah. And it's yeah, the first it, one we did together, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's a bit different because we've attended Maker Fairs before, but we've never had a booth and a space. So, yeah, so it's slightly different, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of interesting when, you know, it's one thing if you're walking around and you're engaging people. It's another thing when you're in one place and people are coming and engaging you and asking you questions. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it made it much harder to sort of walk around and uh, and see everything that was going on because you had you felt like you needed to be at the booth, you know? Yeah. And honestly, we had so much traffic. The three of us were very busy the entire time. Right, yeah. yeah. Which, as, as some people will see, we, we did some recording while we were there. Did some interviews. Some interviews, so. yes. Yeah. I think they're quite uh, quite interesting. Obviously, we couldn't interview everybody, but uh, yeah. but I think that the interviews we did capture were, were quite informative. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah it was definitely fun. Mm-hmm. It was a good time. It was a long day at the end of the day, because then afterwards, we all packed into the car and went to the new museum here in D.C. The, yeah. What is the official title of it? Uh, it's the National um, African American Museum of History and Culture. Yeah. yeah That's a mouthful. Museum. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The acronym is even long, so it's like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that was a long day for us. But uh, yeah. So we and figured we'd go ahead and record and talk a little bit about Maker Faire. Um, yeah, we got lucky that uh, you scored some tickets. Apparently, they were hard to come by. Yeah, the yeah the for the museum they're not they're sold out right they're so, sold out they're close they're getting close to 2017 the next time that people will be able to go in there the availability wow. the availability yeah, for I mean people are out. going to yeah but um they're they're giving they they started giving out tickets like a month in advance they're um restricted entry I guess or, yeah you have to sort of because they they otherwise it would be so swamped that they you had to book tickets at specific times to go in mm-hmm. so that you could handle the I mean, it was still swamp, though. It was crowded. I mean, have you seen any of those museums that packed? No. No. I mean, it it was amazing. Thousands of people. I mean, yeah. Open till midnight. I mean, really? Still at midnight. Yep. We were leaving at like we were leaving at like ten thirty and or ten thirty eleven, and they had just stopped letting people in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and it's a big museum. I don't know how everybody was seeing it. Yeah. But yeah, so it was this good good day overall. Yep. Very nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's do the show, I guess. Let's. We're gonna have a compacted. <laughs> sorry, the cat. We're gonna have a slightly uh, compacted show just so we can fit in all the interviews that we did at Maker Fair. But I, I, I wanted to talk about this. Well, let's let's talk, let's talk about some news. Yeah, yeah. Let's follow the regular format. So getting into the news, uh, I just wanted to talk about this one news story because we've sort of been putting it off for a little bit. And uh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so, I mean, I know, we, we found out, Ray, you, you enjoy a little house, right? You, you like the micro houses. Yeah, when we but talked I, about the, uh, the tiny homes. Yeah, but yeah, I take it you also like a tall building, right? Everybody likes a tall building. Yeah, I mean, architecture and design in general, but, uh, you know, two different scales. I, I think that they're, they're fitting in, in, their, uh, in their proper use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were talking about the, and it's hard to pronounce it, the Ma- Mahanako? Mahanakon yeah, Tower? Yeah, I tried. I, I can't figure out exactly how to say that. Yeah. So this is a new tower in Bangkok that, you know, like a, a couple of weeks ago, like you, I couldn't open Facebook without somebody posting articles about this thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know, I mean, what do you guys think? I, I have a couple of links here, both to the Wikipedia page and some articles about it. Um, what do you guys think about this tower in general? Mm. <clears throat> What's interesting when you said that, you know, like, you like small, you know, like as an architect, you like small houses or towers. I remember when I was probably like 15 and people would ask me, what do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, you know, like really quickly, I would say, I want to be an architect. My mm-hmm. uncle and my cousin are architects. So I would say that. So the next question was like, well, what do you want to build? Mm-hmm. Right. And really quickly I would say, oh, skyscrapers. You know, like big, tall buildings. I want to get into And then later on, as I got older and understood more about architecture, then I would say commercial buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, because I still had that idea of of, of being a, an architect who designs tall, high-rises. Mm-hmm. And now, like, <laughs> completely changed and flipped, you know, and once I understand the realities <coughs> of building and cost and and density and impact on transit and <laughs> impact mm-hmm. on community impact of everything else i'm so glad i'm not <laughs> that I'm not architect <laughs> yeah but it's yeah um I, I think the building looks pixelated which i think is really cool <laughs> <Pixelated>. yeah. <laughs> well i think that's so exactly how they describe it, it don't they yeah yeah, yeah. does it okay cool <laughs> yeah. i mean you hit it on the head if you if you don't remember from the article i think one of them describes it exactly as that pixelated yeah, so people who, for those who don't know um, about pixel, uh, what, what, what we mean by saying pixelated is, so it's, um, it's not hard drawn, right? And pixels in Photoshop, it's basically square or a gridded base. Right, so it's, an, it's usually it's like a, a thing of resolution, right? When an image is pixelated, it's because it's been enlarged. All images are made out of dots, basically. And it's just a matter of how small that dot is. So when something looks pixelated, it's that it's been blown up to the point where the dot got so big that now you're seeing the squares or the dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people use it as art, you know, like it's an art form for a lot of people. There's a movie, movie, I think, right, also. Uh, yeah, you're thinking of the movie Pixels that, that Adam Sandler did. Yeah. A terrible movie, apparently. I've not seen it. But <laughs> that was more of a video game. Yeah. And that was a video game thing because the early video games, the resolution was so bad on screen. So we were saying bad at the time, it was great. But the resolution compared to what it is now was so so bad that it was made out the the, the old images were were made out of little squares. Yeah, like Pac Man, right? right? The like Pac Man is a really good example. The early mm-hmm. Mario games. And this building actually kind of looks like a little bit like if it was in a video game. Mm-hmm. Like for kids, it's like what uh, what is that game? Um, Mine Minecraft. Minecraft, yes. Minecraft is very pixelated looking. Everything's made out of squares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. what do you think about this building, right? Well, it's uh, it's one of those things. Uh, I I kind of I love it, and 
then on the other side, I'm like, well, I'm not really sure I understand the intention. So when you say pixelated, and, and uh, like I said in the article, they cover about uh, that exact terminology. To me, when I think pixelated, I think of uh, when you used to see movies and, and there was uh, things they didn't want you to see, like maybe some partial nudity or something like that. Yeah. They would pixelate those areas <laughs> so that it would cover it up and you couldn't see it. So when I see this, I kind of kind of get that feeling that these are areas they don't want us to look at they don't want us to see it so kind of like a building censorship mm -hmm. uh in in one regard and in the on the other hand it is in practice the exact opposite because those are the most open spaces of the building mm -hmm. so it's quite visually interesting um design wise uh, you know uh, quite a a uh, a challenge uh, and, and of course, to, to do this structurally, it, I'm sure they had to do quite a few transfer beams and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that the, the whole concept of pixelating this building uh, was derived from the, uh, the uh, code requirements of stepping back the top of the building as it went up into the sky. And then they kind of, even though they only needed to address that at the top of the building, they used it as the inspiration or the motivating factor there for the design of the building. And uh, you can't, I, like I haven't seen pictures from all four sides, but it appears to be a, a spiral um, feature that starts at the top and it kind of spirals all the way down. I don't know if that's true because we, we can't see all the sides and, I, and I've been looking at all the pictures trying to see every side. Uh, it seems like they photograph it from one angle probably because of the sunlight uh, issue. Yeah, and but, I actually think it's because it's mainly that side that has that effect to it. I don't think it goes all the way around. But it looks I'm like it wraps sure. in at least three of the corners. Uh, I think it does, but I think there's one side where it mostly looks whole. I've not, but I, you're right. I'm not. I'm not positive. But that's what I've always thought. You're always seeing it from the same angle, usually. Gotcha. You can't, that other side's more plain looking, you know. Yeah. yeah so the other side's boring, so they don't bother. Right. Showing. Yeah. yeah. It looks like Jenga, you know. Yeah. But you know what, and you and you guys mentioned, like Claudia was mentioning, you know, studying architecture and what kind of architect you're going to be and all that. Uh, part of it, it uh, also kind of reminds me of that idea when we were in in school and studying vertical cities. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I like the efficiency of the of the use of land by making a tall building, um, but then of course. Uh, it becomes inefficient because of all the structure you need to hold it up because it's so big and heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, but as far as land consumption, it is the most efficient way, and you can layer it. And you know, there have been a lot of studies. If any of our listeners are interested in vertical cities, you do a search on vertical. You're going to be coming up on all kinds of interesting things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, as far as land uses, right? That's the best way. I mean, <clears throat> according to their article, it has hospitality, retail spaces, bars, restaurants, and around. 200 condo units. Um, I think there's a little bit of a hotel in there too. Yes, because yeah. it's it's managed by the Ritz-Carlton. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great thing. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because they, you know, I wonder how, if, if offices are also in, within the context of land. Because here in the United States, you don't see that great of a mixture of land uses within... Um, tall buildings, high rises. Well, with a building this tall, and in a city like Bangkok, they they have to. Because yeah. You'd end up with a lot of empty empty spaces, so they they rent them pretty. They they they're willing to mix. 
Yeah. So you'll, I mean, you'll definitely have offices there. Yeah, and they, and you see that kind of use in like Dubai and those big buildings. Dubai, yes. in New York, obviously, you see this kind of Chicago. Uh, you see that kind of mixed use in these the the tall tall buildings, and of yeah. course it's in layers. You know, it's in layers. Yes, it is. But you know, like here, I mean, you know, having worked in one of the large like large firms, mm-hmm. one of the things that we always struggled with was combining those uses too much like having way too many combinations of uses because when you think of the market value Mm. um you know people who own really expensive condos don't necessarily want to be on top of a bar oh yeah yeah. right or 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 share the or share the the elevator with the cooks Mm. (laughs) but you're talking yeah but you're talking about it's still a, a different scale this building's now become one of the tallest buildings in the world exactly right and some of the buildings you're talking about, what they're yeah, what they we still consider them uh, skyscrapers or high rises or whatever. They they're not 77 stories, you know. Exactly. And, yeah. and I think that's the difference. Yeah, in and a building. We haven't seen yeah. that in New York, in, in New yeah. York or Chicago right. or anywhere here. Yeah. 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 Have you guys? Uh, I know you've you've been to Chicago. Have you been to the Hancock Building at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you go to the top? Uh, we didn't go to the top of that. We went to the top of the Sears. Tower, ah, yes. what was called this year's tower at that point. It's got a different name now. I forget what it's called now. Well, um, I went there. Uh, I was in Chicago probably five years ago, maybe six. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. for the uh, the U.S. Green Building Council. They had a big thing there, uh, and I, and I don't want to get Claudia started on the U.S. GBZ, uh, but um, I went there and we there's a there's a bar at the top, mm-hmm. like a, it's more like a lounge and. Uh, I went to the top and and it was quite an impressive. Uh, I didn't even know it was up there. We happened to go with people that knew the city very well, and we had dinner at one place and said, "Oh yeah, let's go to this lounge." And uh, I was thinking, you know, it's gonna be on the ground floor or somewhere in a little space, and we uh, took that that um, express elevator to the top. My, my goodness, that thing would move fast. Yeah. And then uh, I was not expecting a lounge on the top floor. You know. Uh, uh, one of the more valuable floors, and, and I'm not sure it was the top floor, but it was very close to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was occupying the most valuable space. It was a beautiful lounge, uh, and so you it kind of is the opposite of what you would think of the layering. Uh, so I'm very curious to see this building uh, when they're when everything is said and done and everything is settled in, how they're going to layer all those spaces exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me the thing about it though is, um, and you know, I, I've been lucky enough to work on a couple of high rise buildings, nothing seventy seven stories, but like I can respect how hard it is to design a building like this that's basically seen from everywhere, right? Yes. Like it's got a, it's got a concern. Like other buildings have a back, and you don't have to worry about what the back looks like. That's where the loading dock goes or whatever. Yes. A building like this, you don't have sort of that back of the building, um, hmm. so I can respect that part of it, but it, it just this feature of it almost feels like a gimmick like designing a building this tall is hard because of scale and you know you still have to you still want to respect the scale of the street and all of these things i guess the thing that worries me about this because i've seen other high-rises like this like the frank gary high-rise building in new york city you know there's this gimmicks of doing this there's the a building in chicago now that the floors are turning and oh, yes. all of this yeah. all of these high-rises are trying to come up with some kind of gimmick to give this interest and to make their their sort of image to the city those, and their skyline or whatnot yeah or those cantilevered glass balconies those were right oh, no that's I've, i'm a, i agree with you on that it's interesting so it's uh because honestly when you look at this feature however interesting it is from a design point of view and all that 
how necessary is it? What is the the actual function, and does it add to the quality of the space and the user's experience? Right. Or and is it just cool? Hey, look at that. It's cool. Right. And yeah. and I think that's largely what was going on is that everybody like was sharing this thing, whether they were an architect, designer, or not, or they were just somebody that seen it. So it, it's accomplished the thing that it's drawn attention to itself. But at, at its heart, when you look at it, it's still just sort of a glass tower. Yeah. With some interesting sort of deconstruction to it, if you will. Well, that deconstruction is what scares me a little bit because it's like, <clears throat> so like I, you know, looking at it from this perspective, from the perspective of the construction, it also looks like a building that is being like that has been hit by something. Right, and you know, and I like me a disaster movie as much as the next guy, so it almost looked like it's already in the disaster in movie. In the disaster, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you know, and with the clouds going because it's so mm-hmm. tall, then you know, like it, it almost right. looks like so it 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 can also be very. Uh, like, I don't think this kind of design would fly in a place like New York, and I didn't mean to say fly, but this wouldn't really be as appropriate in New York City where there's been yeah. a sort of what, you, what you're what you hinting towards. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. This is, yeah. there's the security issues. Mm-hmm. You know, even in even in, in San Francisco, you know, there's mm-hmm. a whole idea of, of earthquakes, right? Right. And um, so, yeah, it's just, it, 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 it gives you a feeling of unsafety like mm-hmm. being a, yeah. in an unsafe building right. that's and, that's also not good right and you are <laughs> unless you're talking about a feeling because i'm sure the engineering has been done yes. properly and everything but it's yes. the look of it gives that feeling yeah. to it right yeah, yeah. well and, and and i like how you mentioned engineering because uh if you look at this you know we all understand that you got to have columns and beams to mm-hmm. transfer the loads well you typically want to put those columns on the exterior because that's the most efficient way to do it. But with these, uh, with these, this deductive, this uh, space that's missing, there is no place to put the columns. So now you're driving all of those further in, and you've got to transfer all these loads. So it becomes structurally expensive to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so any efficiency that you would derive by building a, a tall building on a footprint you kind of lose it by, by having to do structural gymnastics in order to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. And uh, after having said all that, I still think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, because, and because it's different. If there was 15 of these buildings, then you're like, yeah, well, that's another one of those. Right. But because it's the only one, I think that, that that factor makes it more interesting. Right, and I think at this point it's going to have to be the only one because if anybody else tries to do something similar to this, they're going to be like, oh, well, they just copied that they're building. Copy that oh, yeah, that, yeah. So, yeah. It's not an original idea. What are you doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, one final thought on it is like regulation, regulation, regulation. You know, like I wonder when you guys were talking about structure. And, yeah. You know, like I wonder how the regulation for like how highly regulated this building was or lack of regulation in building this in, in, in the actual construction. Oh, during the construction. Yeah. During the construction and also yeah. even the structural and engineering. It's just. You know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not implying anything. I'm just saying that that's, yeah, I mean, you need to consider the, all those things. Too. And that's a harder thing for any of us to speak to when it comes to a different, another country like this, like Bangkok, you know, like yeah. we don't, we don't really know. We know but how it is here, are, yeah. but in the United States, but in, you know, in Bangkok, who knows? I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. cool. Well, um, yeah, so that's a cool news story that we've kind of been sitting on for a little bit, but I really wanted to, to sneak it in here while we could. Um, but I think we should just go straight on to our main topic, which is going to be Silver Spring Maker Fair. 
All right, so our main topic today is sort of what we were doing all day yesterday, which we were at Maker Fair, at Silver Spring Maker Fair. Um, so sort of to start off, we're going to share some of our thoughts on what we thought of the fair and what, what our experience was. But I think the first thing we want to do is, while we were there at our, our booth, we did a bunch of interviews with different makers, attendees, and we just want to play some of those uh, interviews for you guys. So here they are. After the interviews, we'll come back to us and talk a little bit about what we thought of the Mega Fair. Speaking to Emily and Chloe about an interesting project uh, called SilverSat. Uh, why don't you tell me about that? SilverSat is a multi-year project that is both a challenging engineering development effort and science and technology classroom. The technology goal of this project is to design, build, launch, and operate a real satellite. The educational goal of this project is to provide the participants the experience of a real-world engineering challenge, one that, may, would, that many would consider well beyond their abilities. This project is open to be interesting and motivated middle schoolers and high school youth and their families in the greater Silver Spring area. Very interesting. Now, um, just for our listeners who may not realize that you are very young ladies. Uh, do you mind telling me how old you are? We are both 12 years old 12 years and old. the 7th grade. 7th grade. So this is a very um, interesting project and quite an ambitious project for two young ladies to be uh, participating in. Yeah, it's not It's not just us either. I think our youngest member is in 2nd grade. It's 3rd. 3rd grade. Um, she is um, one of our team member's little sister who is also on our team. Great. Now you guys are involved with a lot of the aspects of this of this project making the satellite and the hopes uh, are to get this in space, is it not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. By 2021 I think is our launch yep. date. And have you been making prototypes? Not yet. We're nice. still in the design and trying to get the money. And money and grant writing and 501c3. So. Alright. And are you involved in the design aspect as well? Yeah. Yes. Right. Very much. Now, in the end, what is going to be the function of this? We are still deciding what to do because gotcha. there's many different aspects, and we're trying to find the one of the not easiest, but something that is not more money. Because like a camera is very expensive to mount, so probably more of a radar. Yeah, we do need to find a purpose for the satellite soon, but we're also still assembling a team. So I think it would be in the team's best interest on what the function of the satellite would be. Absolutely. And it's going to be uh, a lot of work. This is a, a very complicated project. Is this your first um, effort in making something? Is this the first time you're, you're trying something like this? A satellite and a high-scale project, yes. Yes. But like little tiny projects. We bought that. So you've made a lot of little things. Yeah. 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 I will tell you that I'm quite impressed that you guys are taking on this, this project. Yeah. Um, I have not once thought about making something that's going to go uh, into space uh, when I was 12 years old. It didn't even cross my mind. So I think what you're doing is very impressive um, and I think it's going to be a very valuable experience. Now, you're also working with a local maker, uh, makerspace, correct? Catalytor Makerspace. We are going to be building our thing. We're going to be building our satellite there. We have a direct connection with the founder of the Catalytor Makerspace. 
and me, Emily, and Emily's little, bro little brother go to the Catalina the Catalo Maker Space once or twice a week just for fun, and so that's where we're going to be building it. Excellent. And holding most of our meetings, too. Yeah. So I guess you're learning quite a bit of what's involved in designing and making things. We are all, we're learning along the way. So yeah. now, have you used the laser or the router? Any of those items? We well, use the laser to make, make our shirts. Oh, cool! <laughs> and then I haven't used the 3D printer yet, but I'm planning on using it too. Very soon. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of programming going into the laser and the. Um, 3D printer, but yeah. you use a programming and then it yeah. just goes directly to the it, machine. It serves. It also serves as a great place to hold meetings and yeah. get the tools that we need that we would be able that we would need to acquire the skills and the technology to build the satellite. Mm -hmm. So it's good to have those resources and to be learning the skills early on by taking classes. Excellent. Now, uh, is there a time frame do you expect this to be completed? Uh, five to seven years, me and Emily are in seventh grade, so our goal is to have it done in five years before we go off to college, but there's a chance that it could take longer with any delays, so five to seven years is our yeah. goal. Launch date is going to be probably 2021 on an upcoming NASA mission where they yeah. would release the CubeSat. There's also a program where you can send the CubeSat up to the ISS and it'll send it out of the ISS, yeah. which sounds really cool. So there's a chance we're doing that because that's because they send things up to the ISS a lot of the t a lot and so a lot more often. So oh, yeah. you yes. can hitch a ride on the, one of the things and they can shoot it out of the ISS. Yeah. There's, there's a little thing, little box shooter thing that shoots it out. Yeah. <laughs> the back of the ISS. Now it sounds like you guys have really been thinking about this for quite a while and you've got a long plan ahead of you. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned college. Now that kind of makes me want to ask, have you thought about what you might be studying in college? Um, I definitely want to be a computer science major. My dad is fluent in Python, HTML, and CSS, and maybe Linux, I'm not sure. Um, so I want to do more computer science and engineering I want to be a medical scientist researcher, so I want to go to medical school. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that this, if you can accomplish this, it is a very impressive project um, on your transcript, yeah. especially yeah. for going to college. So I, uh, I hope to see this completed pretty yeah. soon, uh, yeah. within five <laughs> to seven years, as you promised. Uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, finding out more. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank us. Alright, so I'm here with, uh, what's, what's your, tell everybody your name? Uh, Give Batman Glitch. Get Batman Glitch? Uh, Give Batman Glitch. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we're here at the Maker Fair. And, uh, let me, what, uh, what, uh, what brought you to Maker Fair today? Uh, well, at, at first I wasn't very interested. My father brought me here. I, I, I needed to work on homework. Okay. But, um, yeah, I, I have a project due that is 75% of my grade. Oh, okay. And I'm kind of worried, but, you know, I, I looked around and I saw all the 3D printing and the designs and pretty much everything here was worth it. Okay. For, yeah. Cool. 
What uh, how, tell everybody how old you are, I guess. Uh, I'm 12. 12, okay. And you're going, where, where, you're here local to Silver Spring? Uh, no, Parkland Magnet Middle School. Oh, okay, very cool. Good. Geared towards, aeros to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Geared towards aerospace technology and math. Oh, okay, very cool, nice. Um, what's, uh, what have you seen here that, that you've liked so far? Well, what's your favorite thing so far? The 3D printing. Yeah. But I did see um, VR, the virtual reality, oh god. Reality. Yeah. Uh, which on one? Do they have Gear VR? Which one do they have over here? I haven't gotten a chance to walk around yet. Um, it's the one where there's two uh, controllers and there's a trigger. Uh -huh. And oh, okay. yeah, there was drawing there. Unfortunately, I was too late to sign up to do it. Oh, but okay. Oh, okay, cool, cool. What else, uh, what else interests you around here so far? Well, the... Uh, well, I saw a couple of... Well, in school, we, we have a robotics class, and in the robotics class, it's engineering and inventing, and it's mostly with 3D printing. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking for like tips on how to use the software and stuff. Okay, very cool. Uh, so that's interesting. You day to day, you get to work with some of this stuff as it is with 3D printing. We haven't gotten in depth to it yet, though. Okay, but that's the plan. That's yeah. What, uh, what software do you think you're going to use? Or you don't SketchUp. Know. SketchUp? Okay. Yeah. Nice. I, I've used SketchUp myself because uh, in architecture we use SketchUp quite a bit. Pro though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although the, the regular SketchUp is pretty good too, the, the free one. But yeah. Cool. Um, cool. What else? Uh, your dad, you mentioned, was an architect? Yeah. Right. Did you ever go to his job and see what he does? Self-employed. Oh, he's self-employed. Okay. But do you ever see some of his work? And yeah. Help? What yes. do you think of our, cause I'm an architect as well, yeah. but I'm interested in what you think about architecture. Well, he uses AutoCAD and stuff, yeah. and he taught me a little, and it's kind of like SketchUp, yeah. a little yeah. bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Very cool. Well, what else? Do you have anything else you want to tell people that are listening? Uh, what, are you, what, okay, what advice do you have for people your age that maybe haven't been to a Maker Faire or, or thinking about getting into making? What would you, what would you tell them about this? If you're thinking about not going, rethink about everything in your life. Good, right? Because you're enjoying yourself. Yeah. Cool. Right, because I, I, I rethought about everything in my life after I got here. Nice. Okay, good. I like it. I like it. So you, your life has been changed by making <laughs> A little bit, I guess. Cool. All right. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us and being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Cool. All right. You have a, enjoy Maker Fair. <laughs> Okay, we're here with Mike Hogarty and Callie Keane of Red Blue Collective. It's a startup company, and what they do here is quite interesting. I'm going to let Mike explain because it's uh, it's quite involved, and uh, I think it's going to be one of those things that it's going to be hard for our listeners to turn away from. All right, so my name is Mike Hogarty, and our startup is the Red Blue Collective. You can see us at redbluecollective.com. We help entrepreneurs develop great hardware products from concept to market. Uh, we're based out of Reston, Virginia at the Nova Labs Makerspace and uh, Cali's and Sterling. His family has a manufacturing facility called K-Form Incorporated and I also have a business doing um, fabrication for automotive parts called Hot Rods to Hybrids. It's hotrodstohybrids.com. So uh, we're here representing our new product that we're using as a demonstration of the process. It's a, uh, a hand fidget toy that you can see on uh, revolvemakers.com. It's called Alpha. It's currently live on Kickstarter. 
We developed the product in under 20 days using the Red Blue Collective process. And uh, we've taken the product to market on Kickstarter and we were 200% funded in less than three days. And we're currently uh, continuing to use the process uh, involving uh, social media marketing and uh, being part of a community um, to carry our campaign through the end of the month. Uh, we're teaching a class on the process on October 9th in Reston, Virginia at our Makerspace. It's a Wednesday evening from 7 to 9, uh, and we're going to go over all the details of, of how to use this process to take any product from, uh, from concept to reality. Now, Michael, I found that, when I was talking to you earlier, I found that to be the most interesting aspect. Now, this is a very interesting product, and uh, for listeners who may not be aware, it's quite an achievement to achieve funding, full funding so quickly in a, uh, the beginning of a ca uh, Kickstarter campaign. But uh, what, you, what was really interesting is that your model is to do exactly what you described, to teach someone to take a concept or an idea from inception to market. Um, and I found that very fascinating. Exactly what, what does that entail as far as, as Red, uh, Blue, the Red Blue Collective and what do you guys do in that, in that? So the Red Blue Collective uses a very lean methodology and uh, a lot of validation steps. Um, so the whole concept is we uh, teach people how to gain validation in their process, how to develop their product outside of a vacuum. Um, the idea of a solopreneur, an entrepreneur working by themselves in a vacuum is a myth, it's a thing of the past. Uh, so we're really encouraging people to join a community early in their process. Uh, we teach techniques in protecting your IP so that you can become part of a community without losing your, your, you know, your property. Um, but by joining a community early and developing your product in the open as part of a community, you get invaluable feedback on what people really want, how much they're truly willing to pay, um, and it prevents you from a lot of failure points. Uh, we have people who come to us years into the process and they've spent a lot of money on intellectual property protection and uh, they've developed their pro product the best that they know how and it's not manufacturable at scale and it needs to be changed so dramatically that their patent doesn't even apply at the end of the game. And so by using a process like this early, uh, you can iterate and learn from the community and at the end of the day the customer has told you what they want and how much they're willing to pay for it and so you're able to make it for a price that you can still make money and and offer them exactly what they like so um, it's been great uh, Kelly started this process he's been teaching classes um, since I believe January of this year this is going to be the ninth class on the product development process um, this one is going to be specifically tailored to uh, Kickstarter for makers. Um, so we had 35 people at our last class. That's what I was going to ask you. What kind of attendance do you have at this class? Yeah, um, so Nova Labs Makerspace is uh, a nonprofit organization, and we usually just um, advertise these classes to the local community, people within our immediate reach. But the class content is available on redbluecollective.com. So if you're interested in the content, um, it's, it's uploaded there, and you can uh, email us at info at redbluecollective.com or Keen at redbluecollective.com. Um, we get a variety of attendants. We've had um, teenagers who are interested in, in making products for their high schools, all the way up to people who are developing a defense product, and they're interested in learning. Um, it's, it's just a great thing to get involved, and in. I'd say that the people who get involved in a community project like this and use a, a group uh, and a network like Red Blue Collective uh, have lower risk and uh, it's just an enjoyable experience to develop a product in this environment.
And I'll tell you, Mike, Michael, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that I find fascinating about what you're doing is, as you can see, uh, I have a little bit of experience in manufacturing. And a lot of times when I get drawings or, uh, or even prototypes, I find exactly what you've described. It is something that is either not buildable uh, or it is astronomically expensive to build at is, as it has been designed. DFM. And I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that um, these, just that one service alone uh, is infinitely valuable. Uh, what we find is that we end up changing people's products or parts extensively just to be able to make them affordable. You know, uh, if a part needs to be $25, you cannot design it to be $360 because it, it, won't, it simply will not work. So um, that alone, I think, is one of those valuable experiences. And what you hit on a very in, in, interesting point that we were discussing earlier was the this concept of, of uh, working in a vacuum. A lot of people feel that if they express their idea to anyone, uh, that someone is out there trying to, trying to steal their idea or their concept. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I got a few messages from uh, some people that I know that want a project to be built and they were afraid to discuss it even with me. Uh, and I have a very large experience with, with NDAs and, and manufacturing. And I said, look, you got, at some point, you need to figure out who you can trust and to move your project forward. Uh, the last point that I thought was quite fascinating is when people invest so much effort and they're putting all their energy in the wrong place. Uh, and you mentioned people running out and getting patents for something that isn't even buildable. It, it's you know your product changes when you iterate. Um, one of the things that they say about software is release early and release often. Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing that with hardware, your product is totally different by the time it reaches market than it was when you started. So if you get a patent with your initial idea, by the time you're done, your patent is covering something that you're not even making anymore. So um, it is important to protect your your intellectual property, and we teach a method of doing that that's very lean. You know, you can capture exactly where you are with an application at the USPTO for $65 for a provisional patent. That allows you one year to work under the prior art of your application. Um, that's the, the minimum that I would recommend doing. Um, you know, depending on the level of the project you're working on, it is important to protect it. Um, and there are, uh, there's an inventors group that meets at the USPTO um, that people can attend and they can learn more about how to protect their uh, intellectual property. Um, but what's more important for hardware is that you execute. You need to get to market. Um, we developed a product and released it to market in 20 days. I'd like to see someone beat me to market yes. using this process. Uh, you can take your product to market. You can make exactly what people want. And the most important thing is when you, when you develop your product out in the open, you develop a brand. There's a lot of companies that sell shoes that are $5 a set but people still buy $70 or $80 Nikes because they are loyal to the brand. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know who a company is when they release their $90 pair of shoes, there's no value there. But if that company developed that pair of shoes and they talked to you about it, they asked you for your feedback, and you put your own ideas into the product, you don't care if somebody else comes out with something else. You're gonna buy the product that you are able to have something to do with, that you're part of that community. And that's what we're trying to teach here is that by open, you know, opening up the doors and allowing your community, your potential customers to help you develop your product, not only are they guaranteed going to buy your product, but they're going to also help you to make what they want for the price that they want. It's just a, it's a guarantee. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, products and I like to talk about your specific product, the Alpha. It's, it's, yeah, it's the Alpha Fidget Toy. I, I got it right here in my hand and it's actually 
um, at first glance, it's visually it's interesting, especially with all the contours on it. But uh, it's one of those things that you can't seem to put down. Even it's uh, it's a it's kind of weird for me to describe this as a product that doesn't really do much, but yet you can't put it down. There's uh, a story and behind it. It's visually it. beautiful, by the way. This is this is beautiful design. Yeah. So uh, we actually used the process to decide on which product to make. So we sat down and we decided first that we wanted to take a product to market in 20 days using the process because the number one thing people had asked us to do was to show them an example of how this product development process can work. So we decided we would create an environment that would expose weaknesses. If you have time and money, sometimes the problems you encounter are buried and you don't really see them. We wanted to expose these problems so that we could share with the community how that we overcame them. So uh, first we decided, okay, 20 days to Kickstarter. That was the goal. Then we thought about things that we were both into and uh, makers and, uh, and the maker community excites us and these uh, CNC sculptures are both something we into. Um, actually in Baltimore, Maryland, there is a uh, CNC machinist named Chris Bathgate and he makes uh, CNC machined art. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And we had gone and visited him and talked to him and. And uh, through that, uh, we had watched him bring a pocket sculpture to the market and sell out immediately. And we had started looking at products like uh, CNC machine tops. There's one company in particular, Billet Spin Tops. They're absolutely gorgeous. I've seen them. Yes, I've seen them. Yeah. And they have a selection of materials. Right, it's quite right. beautiful. And we found out that the problem in our community was availability. What a great problem to have in yes, product development, <laughs> right? Yeah, so we thought, okay, so we both are designers and we know how to design for CNC machining. So let's go ahead and design a hand spinner because they're trending and uh, make something that we want, that we enjoy and share it with the community. Uh, and so that's the, uh, the alpha was born from that process. We, we spent a few days uh, developing and 3D printing prototypes, um, coming up with minimum product requirements and this is the, uh, the end of it. It's a, a modular hand spinner. It's a desk toy. It can also come apart and operates as a, uh, a top. And uh, you can put it together and it operates as a gyroscopic top you can spin on your desk. Or you can just fidget with it in your hand. And it's made of bearing bronze, stainless steel, titanium, and ceramic bearings. Um, the materials and the craftsmanship are, are really great and it's just a, a fun item to carry with you to calm you down in a you know, in an in a environment like this during this uh, interview, I can just sit here and play with it. Yeah. It gives me something to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. it's quite fun. You know, this, uh, the more I play with it, the more I realize this is uh, kind of like the modern reinterpretation of, uh, we'll probably all remember seeing these, the, the uh, conservation of momentum balls that used to sit on the desks. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, that's one of the things we're going to expand, and that, that's a topic in the conversation of uh, product development is... You know, how do you grow your brand? Um, desk stands that, that will hold this top in different configurations on your desk. Uh, that becomes a, a desk art, you know, yes. a kinetic sculpture. So. Very interesting. Michael, I, I appreciate you taking the time yeah. for the interview. And I'm definitely going to be uh, looking forward to see when your campaign meets its, uh, oh. its completion. And when do you actually expect to start manufacturing these? Um, so we are using a CNC machine in our makerspace right now to continue to develop products to send to influencers. So we're, we're still actively in this campaign. Um, and we are getting quotes from local uh, machinists um, to help us out. We really like the idea of using someone local that we can you know, film the process and, uh, and share that with the community. 
Um, at the moment, we're fully prepared to make them ourselves, uh, starting um, in, uh, I guess it would be late October, uh, shipping out in November and getting everybody their goods before Christmas. At the moment, I think we have 108 backers, but our desire is to get closer to 300 backers by the end of the campaign. Very interesting. And again, I got, I got to commend you on the ability to uh, move this from inception to final product. If you're expecting to ship in, in two, less than two months or so, yes, uh, that is quite impressive. That is some fast-moving work. We definitely set <laughs> the bar really high. Yeah. Um, what are the uh, what are the possibilities on the next product? Can you reproduce this uh, this same exact type of momentum that you've established here? Absolutely. Um, generally, I wouldn't do it in 20 days. Yeah. Even for a product as simple as this, I think I would allow for 90 days. And uh, the real key is becoming a member of a community and and actually you know um, being truly interested in what you're doing and getting feedback early and often showing people your designs, getting them excited about what you're going to release, generating that mailing list, and then we're going to cover all these items in our in our upcoming classes. Great. And for our listeners that are curious about your, uh, your uh, Kickstarter campaign, your company, Red Blue Collective, we're going to put links in the description of this Thank you. podcast, and they'll, they yeah, can, uh, you we can encourage them to go over there and take a look. You can find the, uh, the product at revolvemakers.com. Great. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks, sir. We're live. How are you doing? Good. Are you doing good? Yeah. So, how did you like the, the event today, the Maker Fair? Did you like it? Yeah. Yes. What did you learn? I learned like when they were making it, they would take a lot of object to make it hard and lots of stuff. Oh, very cool. Do you, did it make you want to start drawing? And like, if you want to start drawing, what do you want to do? Or make you stuff? It made me like want to have it and like play with it and stuff because it felt good watching it. Now, did, do you think a lot of the stuff that you have here that you can learn from while you're playing? I think so. You think Could so? Be. Cool. Um, what do you do at home? Do you do you make stuff at home? I usually do everything, like sometimes read, sometimes sleep, sometimes play, sometimes go to my friend's house, I do a lot of stuff. Cool. Um, do you play with Legos and do you like to build stuff with Legos and like... Sometimes at school I do that. At home since we don't have Legos now. Oh, cool. Very cool. Alright, um, do you know um, anything about computers? What I know about computers is some computers can like load you really fast for to get to Google and stuff. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Oh. All right. Well, thank you so much for participating in our in our interview for the Maidcast. And I really can you tell us just how old you are? I'm seven years old. Well, basically eight because next month's my birthday. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We're gonna bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, this is so good. Are you 
Hi. How are you? I'm good. How old are you? I'm eight. Eight. So, what was your the most um, memorable thing or your favorite thing about the Maker Fair so far? I I like the 3D print printing a lot because there's a lot of 3D printers out there. Yeah. And what do you think you can do with a 3D printer? What did you learn that you can do with a 3D printer? I uh, I uh, we can like make toys and like necklaces and other toys out of it. Oh, very cool. And you can design different things. Do you know, um, at home, do you use any other materials to also make your own or build things? Mm, yeah, I use like blocks and Legos. Oh. And I kind of like, I just want to build a toy, like, like, a, electric toy but I don't have the batteries oh. that, and that's the thing about making so making you can actually uh, imagine something and then you can try to make something out yeah also out of it and also you can do it with friends do you usually make things or play with things to build with friends yeah I like I always have play dates and I go to somebody's house, then I build Legos with them. So, would you like to, when you grow up, do you want to do a profession that is that has to do with design, with making, or building? Yeah, I want to be like a uh, a person who like designs houses, like like who makes stuff, like. A yeah. designer. Designing? Cool. Yeah, an architect. Yeah. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, I'm sure you're going to be a great architect because you're already doing playing with Legos. And that's the first step of becoming an architect. Thank you so much for the interview. Okay. All right. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. Bye. Thank you. So good. So it's just like when Grandpa interviews you. Alright, so we're here with, what, what are you guys' names? Michael and... Addie. Annie, oh, well, nice to meet you. You guys are attending. Nice to meet you guys, yep. You guys are attending here today. You, what brings you to the Silver Spring Maker Fair? Well, we really like building stuff. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you make? My dad built myself a dresser. Oh, a dresser? Uh-huh. Oh, very cool. Where, where do you guys make this stuff? At, you know, in my dad's workshop, but... Um, it's a... It's all in all garage now. There you garage? Okay, very cool. Yeah, that's how most people make stuff. Nice. What, what, uh, what, is that mostly what you like making? You like making furniture? Well, we, it, we build anything we really want to build. Yeah. He built it all. Okay, okay. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so my sister um, was having a close to a significant birthday yeah. and we both grew up playing arcade games um, and so I'm, I usually make a lot of you know, high-end fine furniture but I've never done any um, uh, you know, I never incorporated any electronics or anything and so we, we both grew up always wanting one of those like a uh, cocktail arcade cabinets like you walk into a pizza joint and it'd be there and so we you know I got one of the little uh, raspberry pies and yeah. programmed it and put it all together yeah so, well, you found the process fairly easy fairly intuitive 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's so much out there to help you do it online, and but you know, everything. You know, literally, the hardest part for me was just getting all the stuff for the, getting just finding all the games and yeah, downloading you know, everything. Downloading everything, but then you know, like putting together, wiring up the joysticks, all that was. Yeah, it was the first time I'd done that, but. And not how that long? Hard. How long have you been making furniture? About 13 years. Oh, very nice. When when did you start having her help you? Well, how, how old was were you? Um, I usually helped when I was younger. Like I did, um, sometimes um, I like to like build stuff, like maybe little fairy houses, and I'm and I'm learning how to use the the glue gun. Oh, the glue gun, cool. Yeah, cool. she helped me do the wiring on the arcade cabinet. Wow. And you know, it's just the kind of thing that at first you're just afraid of it, right? You know, and you don't think that you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I never want her to grow up with that perspective. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. like, let's just go try it. It's not, you know, it's not as scary as you think. And exactly. I mean, I think back, like I, I now work on cars because my dad, he was even just having me hold the, le- the the flashlight, but I'm not scared of it. And I think that's perfect. That's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And it took me a little while to figure that out too, right? Just to have them work with you doesn't mean they're actually. You know, they, they just want to be with you, exactly. and it could be like, hey, I want you to be next to me and, and draw what I'm doing, or hold the flashlight, whatever that is. Yeah. But finding ways to incorporate them into that. Very um, cool. So, do you think when you when you grow up and get older, you want to have a job in making, or you don't know yet? What do you think you want to do when you grow up? Do you want to build things when you grow up? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know yet. Uh, but you've got time. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for yeah. joining us. Thank you. Look forward to the Baker Fair. Yeah, look forward to listening to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And the design. So yeah, there you guys have it. Those are some of the interviews that we did during Maker Fair. A lot of uh, a lot of parents and kids, and a couple of projects, a couple of the makers themselves. Um, so I was thinking. Now that everybody's sort of heard some of the different people that were attending and some of the both attending as um, visitors and as makers, we just maybe share some of our own thoughts of what we experienced while we were there. Who wants to go first? Uh, go ahead. Claudia will go first. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I really, I, I, one of the things that I appreciated because we've been to other maker, maker fairs and, you know, the larger ones, right? So yes. this was a very community community-based one mm-hmm. and we've been to another one in um in another town that's like um within the beltway or inside the beltway mm-hmm. of the metropolitan area dc metropolitan area in greenbelt and that was very community like mm-hmm. that was you know like just in the heart of the community it was just much set your table too. much smaller yeah. right um they had a maker space there mm-hmm. even right it was pretty cool uh, but this one was like basically a mini maker fair from the from the branded you know mm-hmm. like it was very branded um and i appreciated how like there were a lot of volunteers and the volunteers were youth mm-hmm. that was like so they managed to and this was um uh i guess co-sponsored or or part partly or in a partner organized mm-hmm. by uh the kid museum it's mainly organized by the kids. Right? mainly yeah mm-hmm. so that was really cool because it was definitely a family a family affair mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we were even we even had helpers, you know, mm-hmm. help us unload and mm-hmm. and take things in and out. That was a big was surprise. Really, yeah, yeah, that was really nice, right? I wasn't ex- yeah. not expecting that. Kind of wish I had more stuff for them to carry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what were your general thoughts of it, Ray? Well, uh, like you guys have been to these, uh, these this type of event before. This mm-hmm. was my first one. 
Um, and I really didn't even know this kind of thing happened. I know uh, in the last eight, ten months, I've been I've been made aware through our conversations that mm-hmm. this kind of thing existed. Um, and probably because I've been making things for so long, I just, you know, this kind of thing wouldn't even occur to me. So I found it interesting that it that it existed at all. Uh, this particular one was clearly more geared towards children and uh, no doubt because of the sponsor of the event. Uh, but that was quite interesting because these kids that, that came through there were, were quite excited about the possibilities of, of thinking and designing and building. And you can see it. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in all their questions. They were very inquisitive. And, and it wasn't just kids running around playing. Uh, they were they were quite astute, and uh, yeah. as uh, as you may have heard from our from our uh, interviews, uh, I was I was personally very impressed with the the two young ladies who were doing the silver sap project uh, yeah. at 12 years old, uh, and you can hear how articulate they were about their their project. I was quite impressed because I was definitely not that skilled or focused at 12 years old so right. they particularly impressed me with their their interest and uh, and their project which is quite ambitious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, but yeah the whole thing was a very good experience and, of co- and obviously it was the first time we did this uh, together as a team for the podcast which was another experience in and of itself mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i think it was it was interesting and i think i agree with everything you guys are saying and it, it was particularly interesting because a lot of the other fairs that we've been to is it's funny because it's a lot of the adults showing their projects and you, you have the kids' presence running through and trying to see what everybody's doing, but they're seeing adults doing it. The thing that you saw a lot here were kids showing their projects to other kids. And I think that in itself makes an impact to them because they're seeing their own peers do it, you know? It's, it's like it's, it's more interesting. Right, it's, it's yeah. more interesting and it's more reachable to them. You know, it's not like I think there a lot of kids are used to seeing adults doing things they can't do, mm-hmm. but that's not the case here. They're seeing other kids doing it, and uh, you know the 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 families that are all showing up. It's just it's it was a great environment that we ran into a couple of friends that I hadn't seen in a while with their kids, and and it was it's great. Um, and doing it our doing it us on I don't want to say on display, but on the booth showing some of the work we've done. You know, a lot of questions were coming to us from not just the kids, but even the parents were interested in a lot of stuff you were doing, and it, it was good. It was, it was really a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, we were discussing there may not necessarily have been avid podcast listeners in general, uh, but uh, they were clearly very interested in, in what we were doing, and the fact that we had so much of our professional work on display mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they realized that when we were discussing design and making and manufacturing, that that we may have a little bit of experience in that in yeah. those fields. <laughs> so I think for the parents, it was a um, you know these are this is a this might be a very interesting podcast to listen to because these are clearly experienced individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of the parents were also educators, which I thought was right. really interesting. Yes, too. I was surprised how many teachers there there were. I was I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a no. It's it's a great like I we have a couple of friends that are that are teachers as well. Yeah. Um, and if you're if you have kids, then you know that you're almost like, you know, addressing two things, right? You're taking your kid to to go see something really cool, and you're also doing some like 
research work on your on your end, something that you can apply to your to your job. So it's like such a good thing for them to be there. And some of the good like questions that came up from that were like, you know, like, well, what kind of content do you do you guys provide? You know, and um, would would this be helpful for an educator? Would it be helpful for parents? It was really cool. Yeah, yeah, it was very cool. Um, and uh, we ran into, or a few people came by that that listened to the show. So, you know, shout out to them if you stopped by, by and told us, oh yeah, yeah, I listen to you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you so much for listening, and it was great to see you guys there and meet you mm-hmm. at, at the fair. So. Yeah, that was a nice surprise. I mean, we are yeah. a relatively young show. We only have this is what episode twenty one. Mm-hmm. And to have somebody randomly come up like that mm-hmm. and say, "Oh yeah, listen to your show. That was quite quite a nice." Uh, yeah, because nice, uh, yeah, for all we know, we're doing this just for the three of us. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for all we know, nobody um, listens to us. Right. And we'd be doing this anyway, so we're just really recording what we're doing yeah. at this point, that, what we talk about anyway. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, it's nice and to, to our listeners who are who may not even realize it, they, these are the kind of conversations we have anyway. Yeah. Whenever we get right. together, we talk like this all the time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, a little bit more the, formalized right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Did you have something you wanted to share there, Claudia? No, I mean, it's just the different, the, like... Uh, the zones? The zones. You know, every Maker fair has zones. Right. And that, that, again, you know, with the whole aspect of it being very organized, this had def- different zones. There were also a lot of... There was a big focus on connecting um, parents and children to mm-hmm. the resources that are available in, in STEM. Mm-hmm. Right, so NASA again. I can never pronounce it. NASA. NASA was there. Yeah, and I would say NASA had one of the more. In, I don't know if you guys went in there, but NASA had like a portable workshop that they had. Brought. I did. Yeah, and yeah. that was that was very cool. Yes. That was, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, there were um, there were also like you know events outside that were happening they had like a raspberry pi was out mm-hmm. there and that was really good uh makerbot was out there as well um and you know of course they were doing like all of their their display of you know just informing people about the, the 3d printers and everything and when you would go inside you could see how some of these small organizations would use the 3d printing so they had like um like a 3d central zone and you know like and how you could make toys and stuff mm-hmm. and there was kids actually showing it so it was almost like a science fair, but it was a maker, yeah, maker fair. Maker fair, yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was much bigger than I expected it to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think for anybody that thinks, if you've been to some of the smaller maker fairs that are just sort of very community one, this one's clearly slightly larger than that, or it's bigger than that. I think it'd be somewhere between, it's not quite as big as National Maker Fair was, but it was much bigger than I expected it to be. So if you're from Virginia and you don't come out there because you're like, I don't want to make a half hour drive to it, it's well worth it. You should definitely drive out next year to Silver Spring Maker Fair. And also, it was county based too, because mm-hmm. they had, um, uh, for instance, they had a team from Mitchell Montgomery High School that was there. They had another one from Blair, like the Robot Project from Blair, which is another high school uh, in the nearby area. They had um, like a presentation from, from Montgomery College and how Montgomery College is a fabrication lab as well. Mm-hmm. So, that was pretty good. So it it's county based, which was which was you know like it extends it beyond the 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 community or the city of Silver Spring, so and yeah like the big thing for me it was like going to you know I would talk to like the the the, the two girls that that Ray interviewed from um 
Silver Stat. Um, so they went to uh, Sligo Middle School. Mm-hmm. And I went to Tacoma Park Middle School, which is like the adjacent middle school there. So it was really cool seeing them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I used to go to Tacoma Park. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I grew up in the area. So it was, it was fun being there. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks to the Kitty Museum for having us there and for organizing everything. We look forward to sort of continuing this relationship and being there year after year. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, yeah. Cool. So that's, uh, I think that's, unless anybody has anything else to say about Silver Spring Mega Fair, let's go on to the project of the week. The product of the week. All right, so this week for the product of the week, sort of in keeping with um, the uh, sort of educational idea that sort of the Silver Spring Maker Fair brought, I, I thought we'd talk about a product that we had seen at National Maker Fair, um, and it's called the Make Crate. Now, I don't know if people are familiar, um, there's a lot of sort of this uh, subscription-based products now out there. There's some for entertainment. It's sort of like a Netflix, you know, like you used to get the DVDs. Um, I know there's some out there for like comic books and, and and other things like that. So this is basically, you subscribe on the website and every month, well, every month, but you can go three months to 12 month subscriptions. Every month you get a box in the mail that has a, <clears throat> excuse me, that has a pr- project in the box that you can make. So... You know, it's a very educational thing. I think it's something you could do with like your own kids or whatnot. But uh, what do you guys think about this product? Yeah, I mean, it's like I think it, the the model is from like when you from I I I could relate it to the fashion world. Mm-hmm. How you know, like now there's um, all of these uh, sort of like creating more ac- uh, fashion that is more accessible to everyone, mm-hmm. um, and also that is uh, it also takes away the sometimes the dire process, right, of like, okay, what do I pick for clothing, right? If you want to pick a specific, um, if, you know, a range or like color or scheme or whatever, like you would order this online mm-hmm. and then it would come like, you know, a package comes to you every single time. So it's kind of interesting that they use that model that mostly mm-hmm. parents would use, you know, mm-hmm. like, or a mom would use because, you know, you're a hardworking mom, you're going in and out, you don't have time to go shopping and stuff like that. And then transferring transferring that model to toys into learning mm-hmm. uh, in the process of making so that's really cool because you you know again you don't know what you're going to get um but you you know you're going to get something cool that mm-hmm. for your kids are going to they're going to be able to to learn and play with yeah what about you ray what yeah. do you think about the make crate well um I, I found it interesting i like how you said that uh, it's something an activity that you can do with your kids I guess you could do it with somebody else's kids, but maybe that might be frowned upon. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, I mean, a teacher would, you know, a teacher if they if they were to get the funding, they could get this for the class. Yeah, that they, that might be more appropriate. Be doing it with somebody else's kids. Yeah, that'd be more appropriate. Or yeah. a grandmother, right? I yeah. mean, you know, a lot of the times, like you go visit your grandmother, and you don't know what to do. Like that would be mm-hmm. like if my mom, like you know, was able to get this for mm-hmm. for for her grandchildren, that would be a really cool thing to do. Well, yeah. I, mean, I think the the ideas behind this is like you know, it, it's kind of like the what was it? This I was gonna say the steak of the month club, or but it's kind of <laughs> those things that those are gifts that you maybe get for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like this is something Ray you could get for your for your nephew, my niece and know? nephew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think and you bring it a, a very interesting question when you say grandmother and all that because I can I can imagine my like my niece and nephew 
and with my sister or, or maybe their grandfather, and they said, well, I'm trying to design a circuit, but I don't know exactly how to route these wires. And at that point in time, they'd be lost because mom and grandfather wouldn't be able to explain what a circuit is and how the flow of electrons work. And uh, I'm not sure if, in, in, with that particular example, if it'd be useful. Uh, but I, what I like is that these are like tinker kits. You know, they've got a, a set of instructions and some guidelines and that... Uh, you don't have to rely on the expertise of of the supervisor, you know, the parents, to help you along. It's within the realm of kids to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and, and arrive at a solution. So I find it very fascinating. And honestly, I wish, you know, when I was you know, 8, 9, 10 years old, I had something like this to play with. Yeah, I mean, I think it was... Instead a, of frogs. We- <laughs> yeah, I played with frogs. That's what I was playing with. <laughs> I mean, I think it was when we talked back. I'm trying to think of what episode it was. I think it was episode six where we talked about the toys that teach making. Yes, I think you know, you're right. Yeah, it, this is one of those toys that teach making. And, you know, I think at that point we had talked a little bit about how, you know, like a lot of kids just play with a box and they make something out of the box or whatever. Yes. And we had talked at that point, I think, oh, how do you start your kid in something like that if they're not necessarily interested in that already? I think this is one of those potential things that you could get. You know, you can subscribe for three months, it gets your kid thinking about these things, and then they can move away from the box into their own designs and their own ideas of, yes. of what to do. So, yeah, part of a step process, right? right? Yeah, You're step, like learning, yeah. like a pipeline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I think... I like the the, the product itself, and uh, I think it's a good play on a business model that's already out there. About like, you know, there's companies out there that that send you a box full of much useless. The subscription, stuff. yeah, subscription service. Yeah. It's funny you should mention that because my wife she doesn't subscribe to it anymore, but mm-hmm. she had one of those, and I I can't remember the name of it. It was a, uh, a uh, once a month, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, that it had a box of stuff for cats. And yeah. I don't remember the name of it, but it would have like toys and maybe some treats and maybe a catnip thing. And of course, you would take everything out, and mm. the cat would only be interested in the box. In the box. Yeah, yeah that's what they were interested in is the box itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, at least those, I think, at least the cat gets some enjoyment out of it. The ones the I'm box, thinking yeah. about, they end up sending you like a mug of Deadpool and a comic book and things like that. Like, there's those kind of subscription boxes that they just send you random stuff from comic books or from movies or from whatever. Yeah. So it's even less useful than this. this (laughs) Yeah. 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 So. I guess the only other thing in in the, in an attempt to be a little more critical Mm -hmm. of, like, products, right? Mm Because, you know, like, as parents, you want to be a little bit critical, I think. I mean, some, some people would. The only thing I... I would say like room for improvement. So they have their um, FAQs there, their mm-hmm. um, frequently asked questions. Mm-hmm. So one of them is like, do you need to have a computer to mm-hmm. use Make Crate? And it says yes, <clears throat> because in order to run to write and run the code mm-hmm. that the projects use, you need a computer and internet access, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a sum. That's making assumptions, right? right? So that everybody has a computer and. Everybody has internet access, Mm -hmm. which if you're already getting into subscription, then you already are a specific Mm -hmm. type of income family, right? right? right. So while 
you know, it's for that specific income bracket. Mm -hmm. um, there's no questions. There's no, you know, there's that's perfectly fine, and this is a perfectly good model mm -hmm. and, and and product. Yet yeah, it's technically not including lower income right. people that wouldn't be able to to, do that to access that. Um, what would be interesting though is if there was a way that people can still do this mm -hmm. and like parents could still do this and maybe go to the libraries mm -hmm. and use the library and maybe use maker spaces mm -hmm. and then, then there's a connection between the uh, maker spaces at libraries for kids you know the rooms area mm -hmm. with uh, maker crate yeah. make crate and uh, that would be really interesting so there's opportunities there I think um, <clears throat> the other the other critique I have is like what do you do when you're done with this Right, because well, I think it builds on itself, and and because I remember when we talked with him, I, I spent a little bit of time talking with the the uh, brains behind this when we were at Nationals uh, Maker Fair. I think a lot of the idea was behind it that the first box sort of got you started, and then a lot of the other boxes kept building on what you had begun with, and the computer chip that came with it, and all of that stuff. So it's one one project in different phases. Right, like I think you you use okay. you use the same boxes to build upon. The so that would that to me that's yeah. a really good like that's a really good mm -hmm. process as opposed to having one thing that you're done and you learn and how to right. do and a then circuit you may never use it again. and then you're not going to use it again and that just creates trash. Right. Yeah. Um yeah. so that's you know, and you know it's what? membership it's, so it's like yeah. money that's trash. Well, that's yeah, a, it's, and, I think that's a good model because every box might teach you one or two or three different concepts and then Putting them together teaches you another two to three different concepts. And by the time you're done, let's say at the end of a year subscription, for example, yeah. uh, then you've got more than 12 concepts. You've got all, all these things and how they relate to each other to make a new thing. Because, uh, you know, when you think about something as, as simple and yet as complicated as your cell phone, mm -hmm. uh, there are so many, and I'm not even sure if you know this, there are so many circuits and, and components in your cell phone that no one individual person has been able to design a cell phone. So uh, every team, uh, there's a team, for example, for the GPS module, and there's a team for the camera module, and there's a team for the RF receiver module. So everybody's working independently on all these different modules, and then they figure out how to make them work together. So it, it, in kind of the same regard and that same scope, uh, having these individual modules, if you will, of these kits, and then at the end, they work together to make something else. I think it's quite fascinating and a direct correlation with the real world and real life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Working in teams. And yeah. then you can almost envision like working within a neighborhood, right? Like yeah, you get yeah. the subscribers within a neighborhood or your friends. Like that was the other thing that we got from Maker Faire. Um, a lot of the kids, I would ask them a question about where do they make stuff mm -hmm. or who do they make stuff with? And they were like, well, we have play play groups that, you know, like I've like I go to a friend's house and we'll build stuff there. And this would be great to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So the make great. Definitely a product that we like. And, you know, going into the next segment, um, maybe we'll get a chance to talk to them next week and bring up some of these things to them. Yeah. yeah. Why next week? Well, let's find out. All right. <laughs> That's a tease. Yeah. <laughs> so, a little tease of the getting, tease. Exactly. <laughs> getting into the next segment, which is what are we working on? What are we going to be working on? Um, 
So before we get too much into what we're working on, um, I do want to mention that this upcoming weekend, October 1st and 2nd, the three of us are going to be in New York for what's known as World Maker Fair. Um, in New York City, Queens, it's on the site of the Old World World's Fair, but it is called, here I will tell you because I have it up on my screen, it is at the Hall of Science in New York. Um, and, uh, we've been, we were there last year, um, we're not going to be, we're not going to have a booth there, but we're sort of mostly going to be walking around seeing some of the stuff that people are doing, maybe doing some interviews, we, we haven't fully decided what we're going to be doing while we're there, but we'll definitely record a show e either there or afterwards um, about what we thought of World Maker Fair. Um, so that's something that we're all going to be doing, is we're going to be at World Maker Fair next next weekend. Yeah, it's a two-day event, right? Mm -hmm. It's October 1st and 2nd. Yeah. And that is another one that if you're anywhere near or you can get to New York easily, I would definitely make the trip to do it. Tickets are not that expensive. And you can just go for the day and you'll be tired because it's, it's a big Mercury Fair. So. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing next weekend. What, uh, what about you guys? What do you have to share with everybody that you were doing this week or that you're going to be doing? How about you, Ray? You actually were just telling us you went somewhere today. Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously you know that I've got the machine shop. And the, the thing when you have a machine shop is that you need machines. So I ended up... Uh, selling one of my machines to a customer because they wanted to start producing a product and uh, it was just easier to sell them the machine I had because they needed to start making things right away. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I had to go and replace it. So I went to a very interesting place that I've never been to one before. It was a machine tool uh, uh, broker. And what they do is they buy and sell machine tools. And you've seen the kind of equipment in our shop. So that's the kind of stuff that they that they broker and buy and sell. And they have smaller stuff and even bigger than the stuff I've got. Now, they don't have too many things that are bigger, but a couple of things here and there are much bigger. So while I was there, I took uh, some video, and I took about 30 minutes of video. I'm going to have to edit that down. And I will be coming out uh, this Thursday with a video touring and looking at all of these uh, pieces of machinery. And there were a lot of bits yeah. of machinery. So... I think it'll be quite interesting if you've never seen that before, uh, to see it all in one place. Uh, it's, yeah. it's quite impressive. Oh, very cool. Very cool, cool, cool. Anything else? Or? I mean, you're always uh, working on something. Kind always of working on something, and uh, I've got something I'm working on, but it's a surprise for you guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. Yeah, ah, surprise. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Cool, cool. Um, nice. Yeah, for me, look forward to that, actually. Um, yeah, for myself, I've uh, I've been working. One of the things that I'm actually going to put out hopefully tomorrow or the day after is, you know, as I mentioned, we we went to the the African History and Culture Museum, the new museum. I think we you missed there. a few words a, in there. Yeah, I think I missed a few words. Just a lot of words, but you guys know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, we were there. I took a bunch of photographs and stuff, so I'm going to be putting the photos out. Uh, I'm going to do a blog post about that. Uh, so that people can see some of the photos. If you can't make it to D.C. right now or you can't get tickets, you know, some of these photos will show you what's going on in there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm working on that and working on, I'm still working on my uh, my figure of the gonk droid as well. I had that at, I had that at the Silver Spring Maker Fair. Kids yeah, it's coming it. out yeah. nice too. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's getting there. It's, it, I'm even surprised a little bit by how well it's actually looking. So 
Yeah. Yeah, you have to like, talk about it later and like mm-hmm. maybe do like a quick blog post about it. Yeah, I'll do something with it mm-hmm. to show people what it looks like and, and the par- the process of it, how it started, you know. Yeah, and how it included the library and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right, what about you, Claudia? Well, uh, when we come back from Maker Fair, I will be presenting on October uh, 3rd at a um, community meeting. It's called Community Meeting on Lead in Our DC Drinking Water. And um, it's basically what we're hoping will be a three-part series, at least, maybe more, of uh, community-based meetings, informational meetings on the problem that we're facing here in DC on with lead in our in uh, our drinking water, specifically in public schools and recreation facilities. So it'll be really interesting to to see how it's basically peer to peer, right? Like um, uh, community members. Um, informing and then discussing this to other community members. The cool thing is that I'm going to be presenting in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I have to do the entire presentation in Spanish, talk about environmental justice issues in Spanish. Um, and then um, and then what we're going to do is we're going to do the uh, translation for the English speakers. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like flipping the, the norm there cool. of usual stuff. But what really, you know, as far as products are concerned, I wanted to... Um, so in order for me to um, uh, uh, promote this particular this particular event, um, I used a a new website. It's called Splashdat, Splashdat dot com, mm-hmm. and it's basically like a, a a version of Eventbrite, but a cooler version of Eventbrite because it actually creates it helps you create a fla- uh, a splash page mm-hmm. of an event, and it's free. Nice. So you just have to like log in and you can do one event. You can include um, visit like an RSVP list. Uh, mm. You can include documents in there. Uh, it's it's just it's really helpful. Like it send it allows you to send emails directly from there. Social mm. media stuff. I definitely liked it. It it was a little bit of a learning curve in, in learning it, but not as much. I mean, it's all like just drag and drop. But I would recommend anybody who does events or who mm-hmm. wants to do any um, techie stuff, sort of like, you know, so that it looks good. Like mm-hmm. it's a nice little product that you put out there for your event. Splashdat.com. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, that's pretty much the show for this week. Hopefully everybody liked this a little bit longer show than normal, but there was a lot of stuff to talk about, especially at Silver Spring Maker Fair. So, um as always, you guys can find us at madepodcast.com. You'll find links to the Twitter and the Facebook there. When you guys tell everybody where they can find more about each one of you guys. Okay, for me, um, you can find me on Twitter, City Ecologist, at City Ecologist, and also thecityecologist.com, the website. Ray, I know you are looking for a... a um, a name for the for the YouTube channel, right? Yes, uh, I like to have some kind of idea, and, and honestly, I, I think I'm just got a uh, a rut. Uh, you know, I'm having a uh, a creator's block. I can't think of a good name. And Claudia, you had a good suggestion uh, for the name of my channel. I'm trying to find the name from channel. So, so if any of our listeners have a good idea and they know, uh, you know, the kind of stuff I do on my YouTube channel, you have a good idea for a name. I am trying to find a good name. Uh, because for those of you who don't know, Ray Pena, uh, which is my name, is exactly the equivalent to John Smith. Right. So, 
so it's not exactly uh, distinguishing, nor will you be able to find the this needle in a haystack if you're looking for my channel. So I'm trying to figure out a good name that would that would uh, really describe the kind of work uh, that I have on my on my YouTube channel. And uh, honestly, I'm just blocked. I'm just blocked. Yeah. Do well, you, sometimes you... it's hard to name something that's that close to you. You know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so if you have ideas for Ray's, and we have a link to Ray's YouTube channel, so maybe you go there, watch some of the videos, and then if you can come up with a name, yeah. send send in some emails and we'll pass them on to Ray. That'll be great. And, uh, yeah. and then your Facebook page? Yes, uh, the Homemade Lathe Facebook group. If you're interested in building a, a lathe, and, uh, uh, you know, that, that subject came up quite a bit at this Maker Faire. Uh, yeah. With the bowl, I, I was actually quite surprised that so many people were were interested in the bowl and how it was made. And when I told them that uh, the, before making the bowl, the very first thing I had to do was build the machine to build to make the the bowl with, <laughs> they always looked at me kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, you gotta. I can't buy this machine because it'll make one this size. So I had to go build mm -hmm. it first, and then I made the bowl. So yeah, that's the kind of stuff I uh, we discuss and. I'm not sure if you. I know you guys are members. I'm not sure if you've seen it recently. There was a a, a completed project that one of the members did. It was beautiful, uh, very professional yes. looking lathe, and and you yes. can see us spinning a piece of wood. It worked beautifully. I was I was impressed with his work. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. We follow it, and uh, I, I check it as much as I can day to day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, and um, you can find me and at City Aperture on Twitter, and that's also my website, cityaperture.com. So cool, and that, you know, I know you don't yeah. say this on the podcast, but I'm gonna say it because uh, what's it? Because I am I am aware of your work, and and the fact is that you are actually a very wonderful photographer, oh, and okay. it is difficult for you to promote yourself. But I'm gonna say it because uh, your pictures are, are quite beautiful, and I know and I do know you take that craft very seriously, and it shows in in the quality of your work. So, no, if the, thank you so much. yeah, if our listeners are not familiar with your photography, I think they should check out City Aperture, and uh, I think they will be very pleasantly surprised, and uh, you know maybe order a picture or two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you like it, it's not for everybody. No, no, that's everything. So, thanks so much for listening.